everyone, welcome to the Channel V6 Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Johnson. The Channel V6 Podcast is gonna cover all the unique and diverse topics that matter most to you, the Una Basin resident. Subscribe to listen to in-depth conversations about the local issues that affect us all. On today's show, we have Dr. Daniel Kwok in the Channel V6 studios to talk to us about the new cannabis pharmacy coming to Vernal. But uh, before we dive into that, Jiffy's is your local one-stop shop. They provide a variety of services, including, but not limited to, collateral loans, check cashing on payroll and tax checks, vacuum repair, um, guitar restringing and repair. They carry many authorized lines such as Pendleton, Willow Tree. Um, Come see them for all your gun, ammo, jewelry, home decor, music, video game needs, power tools, hunting stuff. They've got it all. Until March 31st, Jiffy's is running a sale on pistols, all new and used 1911 uh, pistols are 30% off, and all used 40 caliber pistols are 30% off. Um, They also have a selection of discounted AR-15s. Can't find that gun you've been looking for? Let us help. You know, let them help. They've got access to many distributors that carry most every brand. Don't miss this opportunity for the amazing savings and deals at Jiffy's, where we buy, sell, trade, and loan. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Kwok, for coming and doing this. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, Before we get too far into this uh, podcast, I just want to let it be known that we did reach out to the owners and management of Pure Utah, to the Regulatory Commission, um, local law enforcement agencies, and for whatever reasons of their own, they were not able to make it because we wanted to kind of provide that different um, skew, a different outlook and have different sides to this topic. Absolutely. And I've, I've had lots of conversations with law enforcement, regulatory industry, uh, to kind of get an idea of where we're at in the state of Utah. So I might be able to provide some insight from their point of views. So hopefully we can, uh, have that opportunity as well. Yeah. I find it, you know, there's a, it's not quite a hot topic per se in the basin, but it is, you know, you find the people that are pro, the people that are against it. Absolutely. And then there's a big section that's in the gray. They kind of yeah. don't know what to expect. Don't know what. Absolutely. And, and so this, the, you know, the, the idea of this podcast is just to kind of factually shed light on what's coming, what's going to be offered, and kind of what this is really to the Uinta Basin and how it's going to affect us. And that's what's really important about this situation is, as Utah is now moving into a completely new phase of dealing with cannabis and trying to show that it is not either the Holy Grail or the devil. Uh, It it is neither of those things. It's in between. And, uh, you know, my purpose in being here is to try to help our community and uh, individuals understand where we are, where we've been and where we are going. So let's start elementary level. Sure. Cannabis. People hear cannabis. They often think stoners. They think Cheech and Chong. They think weed, dispensaries. What is cannabis? What is the definition of cannabis? Right. So cannabis has been around for centuries. Uh, Some of the first recorded uses of cannabis are back to 600 BC in China, India. Cannabis is a plant. It's a species. There There are relatively two kinds. There's actually three, but the two that are most often discussed are uh, indica and sativa. Uh, Indica is is more what you're used to seeing in the media and and TV, the Cheech and Chong kind of thing. It's a very relaxing uh, product. Um, Sativa is actually a species that uh, gives energy, more energizing, used during the day 
whereas uh, indica is used at night, the idea of relaxation. So they're really two different species. And, and in a recreational format, there are several subspecies that create all sorts of different kinds of effects, uh, which is very different from the medical side of it, which is where Utah is going. So we, we can get into that in a little bit. But cannabis itself is the plant. And then in cannabis, you have, am I right, the CBD and THC? Correct, correct. So uh, CBD is the non-euphoric um, kind of component. Um, it's actually legal. Uh, you can go to Walmart and buy CBD. Uh, it does not contain the psychogenic effects. The cannabis the portion of the cannabis plant that has that is the THC. So CBD stands for cannabinoidiol, uh, whereas THC is tetrahydrocannabinol. And uh, the THC is the one that has the psychogenic effects. And so in the medicinal side of things, is it more CBD-based? So that's really important to differentiate too because for medical cannabis to work, you're talking about a ratio of THC to CBD. Okay. And it can be anywhere from 1 to 16, 1 to 8, 1 to 6, 1 to 4, 1 to 2, or 1 to 1 uh, to get the right effect for the patient. And that's THC to, to CBD. CBD. Correct. Okay. I did not know that. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. And so... Uh, and, and CBD is, is fantastic. Uh, it has uses. The question often comes up though, how effective is it versus a THC CBD component? And most experts will say that the, the true benefits come out when you combine THC with CBD. So either alone is not super great, uh, definitely has uses, and I would never knock the CBD industry. But if you're really talking about a patient treatment program type of thing, then CBD with THC is where you're probably going. Which is interesting to know because right now you can see it on all the social media and all the news. Sorry, I mean, CBD, CBD, CBD. It's just Absolutely. This, which is good. Yeah, it's but, good. Um, it, it's a little bit misleading, though, at the same time, too, because similar to any industry where it's, it's just burgeoning or coming out, uh, people are trying to, you know, do the best they can to make a living at it. And I think sometimes because, like m many supplements, it's not FDA approved, it's not studied, uh, what you're going on is people's claims and you have to just be careful and recognize that, you know, people want things to work doesn't necessarily mean they do work. And so, uh, most experts would say you, you need a combination of the two to really have some effects. That's awesome. And so I know that right. The second that Utah announced that there was be some pharmacies opening up and the basin was awarded a pharmacy. Correct. Social media went nuts. Absolutely. People were freaking out. I mean, pros and cons. Again, people on uh -huh. both sides just going their ways. But is there a difference between a pharmacy and a dispensary? Or is that just Utah's politically correct way of saying it's a dispensary? Actually, there's a very clear distinction between a pharmacy and a dispensary. So a dispensary, in, in general terms, is usually a business that is... Uh, that sells cannabis products to the public in a recreational format. 
So anyone that is 21 and over can walk into a dispensary um, and uh, obtain product. Uh, a pharmacy, a medical cannabis pharmacy, the only people that can enter that building are those that are card carriers. So you have to have a card issued by the state and identify yourself with your ID and your card. They then kind of ring you through and then you can enter the establishment. And another difference is a pharmacy will have a pharmacist or a, a qualified medical provider in the pharmacy itself okay. that will help actually um, counsel the patient on the format, the dosing, the frequency of the cannabis. In a dispensary, you'll have super qualified um "Quote unquote counselors." There are there are you know in some places they call them bud tenders, uh, but individuals who are very experienced, but they don't have a pharmacy background or they don't have a medical background, um, so they're not really legally able to say, okay, you know, if you have this condition, this is what you should really do. They're not allowed to say that. They're allowed to only say, well, some people find that this works for them or I have this same condition that you're talking about and this works for me. In a pharmacy setting, it's, it's very, very different in the sense that patients are going there with specific conditions that they're seeking treatment for and the pharmacist's job is to help them find the right product. In addition to that, in a pharmacist, pharmacy setting, you have to have a pharmacist on site for as long as the pharmacy is open. So uh, there can't be a time when, when, if the pharmacist goes on lunch break, either the pharmacy closed down or some closes down or somebody else comes in to fill that gap while the pharmacist is on uh, lunch break or dinner break or wherever. So that's so good to know because people listening can now know that there's a distinct difference between what's offered in other states versus what's going to be offered here in Utah. Correct. And, and pharmacy, a medical cannabis pharmacy is not unique to Utah. It, it's in several other states around the country. So there's a combination in the United States currently of recreational states, similar to Washington, Oregon, Colorado, uh, versus medical, which is like New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, places like that. And some states are moving from a medical base to a recreational state. I don't think that will probably happen in Utah for a while uh, just because we're a very conservative state. But the fact that we're offering now medical marijuana, medical cannabis for patients, I think is a really great step. So, okay. So taking that, when you walk into a pharmacy, how is it administered? Like what kind of forms is medical cannabis in Utah going to be administered? Right. Similar. So Utah has followed uh, the tract of most other states that are offering medical cannabis in that you, there are several forms available, but the form that is completely illegal is any kind of form that would be uh, ingested or inhaled via a, a open flame. So in other words, you can't uh, use a joint, you can't <laughs> use a bong, you can't use a pipe. Uh, the state of Utah does allow vaping of the product, although, of course, there's been a lot of concern about vaping of of cannabis products, uh, those are mostly the black market. And that's the problem with that, as opposed to highly regulated vaping cartridges, which are very safe. 
Um, but the other forms that are available in a pharmacy would be pills, uh, capsules, tinctures, which is like little droppers, um, any kind of, uh, salve that you could put on. And in some cases, wax. Interesting. Like topical, like lotions and stuff. Absolutely. That is insane. That's cool. Um, is it habit forming? So that's a great question. You know, any kind of medication, uh, can be habit forming. Ambien can be habit forming. Uh, certainly Oxycontin, a lot of our opioid based medications that are 100% legal to be prescribed by a physician can be definitely habit forming. And uh, in fact, in the United States, one of the worst things that's coming out of, of this is the fact that, uh, we have this opioid crisis, huge problem, huge problem. People have lost loved ones. They've seen lots of, of difficulties that family members have had dealing with addiction. So, yeah, can can cannabis be uh, addictive? Absolutely. Is it um, considered highly addictive? Probably not, uh, although I'm sure there are experts on both ends of the spectrum that would argue with me about that and say, oh, no, it's definitely addictive or, or not. Uh, the issue is more probably of a psychological addiction, similar to uh, someone who uh, likes sugar. Mm. If you like sugar, uh, <laughs> the reason you like sugar is it triggers uh, chemical messengers in the brain that make you feel really good when you eat sugar. And so some people can be addicted to sugar. Can you become addicted to the f- effects of marijuana? 100%. Can you overdose on marijuana? Yeah, so you, you can. That's absolutely a possibility. However, the index to get to that level is very difficult. You would have to consume an enormous amount of, of cannabis to reach that level. Which wouldn't be prescribed to you. 100% not. Matter of fact, the, there are very strict guidelines for how much a person is able to purchase in a month and be in possession of. So from your professional opinion, the medicinal side of cannabis, how is it advantageous over like over-the-counter prescription drugs or just prescribed opioids and stuff like that. Right. So that's probably the reason that medical cannabis uh, receives positive reinforcement from the medical community. There is less likely of a chance to have a lethal overdose of cannabis as opposed to someone on Oxycontin or Percocets. You know, if they, if an individual takes enough of those medications to control their pain or whatever, what have you, they get respiratory suppression, uh, depression in, in the case of a breathing, they stop breathing and then they die. That just really doesn't happen with cannabis. Uh, if someone were to ingest a large amount, uh, They'll get really tired, they'll want to go to sleep, and they'll wake up with a headache and then have the munchies. <laughs> so it, the, the, the um, lethality of the medication, the index for that is much lower than that that you would encounter with something even as simple as alcohol. And, and you know, as we all know, many people use alcohol to self-medicate. Um, and there are all sorts of disastrous effects that come from that. Cannabis has even a lower index of lethality than alcohol. I think we've all, you know, grown up in the culture where you've heard that cannabis is bad. Absolutely. Especially, you know, in this state, in the small rural towns, and we get that kind of 
that nomenclature that just, oh my gosh, it's untouchable. You know, it's bad. Stay away. So it's, right. it's, it's a new development. It's kind of almost a new mindset that you're kind of looking at it in a new light. Yeah. In fact, even in the medical community, that's the biggest pushback right now is most physicians aren't necessarily against medical cannabis. Their reply is, I, I just don't know enough about it to uh, help or feel comfortable prescribing it to my patients. That combined with the fact that it's still uh, a class one or schedule one medication that is federally illegal yeah, um, on the federal level. But even, you know, within states where physicians are allowed to uh, recommend the use of medical cannabis, the difficulty is knowledge base. For years, decades, literally decades, physicians were taught, okay, marijuana, cannabis is bad. It's it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's on the lines of heroin, cocaine, um, methamphetamine. So that's changing that mindset is difficult, especially when there's a lack of information. And because it was a schedule one medication, even universities were not able to do studies, which mm. is where most of our information comes from, where we were able to say, oh, you know, insulin works in a diabetic because we did this study in this first in the, the laboratory, then we did it in an animal model, and then we did it in human beings. And voila, it works great for people that have diabetes. We don't have really any of that information for medical cannabis because when you're a Schedule One medication, you are not allowed to do even research. So that's the problem that we're facing right now with a lot of people feeling comfortable with it is that although, yes, we're moving into a phase where physicians can suggest the use of it, but the, the lack of knowledge makes many physicians feel very uncomfortable. And rightly so. You, you would never want to give a medication to a patient that you don't know enough about the pros and the cons, the risks, that, that what if your patient got really sick? That would be a disaster. Yeah. So physicians appropriately are, are concerned about this. So what kind of physical and mental ailments are we seeing positive responses from? Yeah, so that's another kind of difficult area to look at. So if you go to the website that the Utah has, it's, um, let me see, pull it up here. It's uh, the medicalcannabis.utah.gov um, their website then has the 16 conditions that many people feel that it, it works in. And, you know, from my standpoint as a pediatrician, the two areas that are very effective are then uh, autism and epilepsy. And those areas, at least from a pediatric standpoint, uh, has, it has been exceptionally effective in helping these patients um, to I, do better. I have a friend who's... Um three-year-old is on the spectrum of autism uh -huh. and was suggested to may possibly try medicinal cannabis Absolutely. to help with the behavioral disorder. And it, it took them back. It took the parents back because they were in this, oh, like they didn't know where to go. They didn't have the research. They didn't have the, the education, the background to, to, to feel that one out. And so sure. they're still kind of like, well, they're weighing out the pros and cons themselves right now. But Right. So, you know, especially with autism, the only medications we've been able to offer parents with children that have autistic behavior is uh, 
psychotropic medica- medications, medications treat you know people that have bipolar disease and this, that, and the other because there's no, really no good match. Cannabis has really done a good job of filling that gap for parents that are struggling with autistic children that are have become very difficult to manage, and um, it's a situation where. We, you know, in our practice, we have several families that are currently using medical cannabis to help their their children, and they all report that it is literally night and day. So, um, but if you go to the website, you can go through things. Uh, you know, if I if I just read really quick, HIV, Alzheimer's disease, uh, AML, which ALS, excuse me, which is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, cancer, of course. Cachexia, which means people are wasting away because they're not able to eat. Uh, persistent nausea that's not related to pregnancy or, um, and interestingly enough, cannabis, and this is important to note, can cause or induce uh, a situation where, where patients can develop cyclic vomiting. And that's super not fun. That's a really difficult diagnosis. Um, but Crohn's disease, again, epilepsy or debilitating seizures, multiple sclerosis, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is different, by the way, from anxiety. And there's some debate of whether or not uh, medical cannabis is is great for anxiety. Many people will say yes in the short term. There is some question in the long term chronically if that if that's true, because we've all heard of people come, becoming very paranoid if they're chronic cannabis users. But certainly PTSD is a qualifying condition than autism terminal illness where the patient's remaining life expense expectancy is less than six months conditions involving hospice care and then there's kind of a catch-all here where they have rare conditions that affect less than two hundred thousand individuals in the united states uh, and those people would have to apply for the uh, medical exemption um, and then pain lasting longer than two weeks. So this is the one also where many people will qualify. So again, pain lasting longer than two weeks, that is not adequately managed in the qualified medical provider's opinion, despite treatment attempts using conventional medications other than opioids or opiates or physical interventions. And then there is one last area where it's because some families say, well, you know, my uncle or my brother or my wife or my husband has this condition, they can still apply for a waiver for that. They just have to apply to the, the medical board for the state of Utah. So it's all done online then? Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. awesome. It has to go through the state level. It does. So that's how it's going to be regulated. Because that was one of my next questions is how is the state how is the state regulating this? How is it? Yeah, that's a great question. So in order to be able to walk into a medical cannabis pharmacy, a patient is going to have to have a card, a medical card, and that can only be obtained through a uh, qualified medical provider who has then also registered with the state via their online registration system uh, to do that. And then the patient would come in, see the physician, they would uh, make sure that this is an appropriate way to go. And then there's an online application form that would be filled out uh, sent to the state, the state would then approve that, you know, pending looking at things. Uh, that that turnaround time is r- relatively quick. And then they would mail the patient their medical cannabis card. So on a state level, what incentives or kickbacks does the state of Utah get, if any, since it's illegal federally? Yeah, that's a really difficult 
place for the state. So right now, uh, the state, by law that was passed, cannot use any tax money, any tax money of any kind to fund this program. So this program has to run on the backs of the growers and the fees that they pay on a a monthly, yearly basis, the pharmacies, the producers. So cannabis has cultivators, then they have the processors, and then they have the pharmacies. And each of those steps requires a payment to the state yearly. Uh, It's quite steep. Uh, 69,000 for a license in, in an urban area and $65,000 ish in a rural area. And there's only so many, like they were licensed, right? They were given out licenses to grow it or correct supply it. Yep. Yep. So we right now have 14 pharmacies that are licensed. However, uh, if I understand correctly, only one has opened in Salt Lake city for, for, uh, people to get there, which kind of makes sense because the card system is, is n- just went online itself. So if you open your doors and you're a business and two people walk in, that's going to be a problem for you. It's so scary. yeah, it's really scary. And it's, it's, it's a financial risk. And, uh, I think people often think it's, uh, going to be like winning the lottery. On the other hand, if, physicians and patients aren't on board for getting cards nobody's going to be walking into that pharmacy which is difficult yeah super difficult so with other states having done this before what were there pitfalls the state of utah was trying to avoid in this because it's super regulated having read some of it online like the regulation process through each supplier processor i mean they come in and they test everything and it's super regulated way regulated and the the problem is so because you can obtain cannabis illegally uh there's this there's this competition basically between people that are trying to follow the rules and provide it legally and people that are just trying to make a quick buck so the example this is what happened in california that was disastrous so they said, okay, let's let's go ahead and open this up and make it so it's recreational available. So you can open up a dispensary, you can apply for a license and get a license and, and then open a dispensary on your own. Anyone who over the age of 21 can walk in and buy some products. The, the problem is then the state said, well, okay, because we anticipate this is going to be a big thing, we're going to tax you out the wazoo for this. And we're going to have all these regulatory fees and uh, things you're going to have to pay to be in business. So a businessman or a business individual trying to do it the right way is then going to, of course, unfortunately pass that on to the consumer because they're not going to just eat that. They're going to have to try to make variances for that. So so if you and I are sitting around and I said, and you said, Hey, do you want to have some cannabis? And I said, <laughs> okay, sure. That sounds like a good idea. And I said, well, let's go down to the dispensary, you know, and pick some up. And you said, well, okay. The dispensary costs $50 to go pick some up. If we go down the street to my friend, Bob, Bob sells it for 10 bucks. So this is the big problem. You know, the state of California had over $6 billion 
in revenue from cannabis. Unfortunately, anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of that was illegal. It was not in the in the actual regulated sectors. And so that's the problem. You when you have an illegal drug that is being tried to be made legal, uh, you're going to end up with a problem that California is dealing with now. And so businesses are struggling to make ends meet there, uh, particularly their dispensaries, because people are going to the guy down the street that's selling it out of the back of his car mm-hmm. for literally a third, a fourth, a fifth the price of what they can sell it for in the dispensary because the dispensary has to cover their rent, their employees, all the fees, all of the regulatory costs. It, it, the product is way more expensive. It's the same product. You know, uh, uh, if somebody wants in, in a state where it's legal, recreational, they, they can buy a joint. A joint from a dispensary is going to be the same as a joint from um, mm. a guy selling it out of the back of his car. So That's you, the big problem. So Utah is just trying to avoid those pitfalls. There. Yeah, it's, 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 a very, it's a big concern. So many of the groups that, that have been trying to bring cannabis into Utah point out that if, it's, if the state of Utah is not careful, they're going to fall into this exact same pitfall that are in the states that it's now currently legal. Uh, there are people in Washington and Oregon who have literally barns full of cannabis. They can't sell it because the only stuff that's selling is stuff that's very, very high in THC content. So their product is maybe, let's say, 15%, and uh, the guy down the street's got 30%. So who are they going to buy from? 30% or 15%? You're going yeah. to go buy the guy that has 30%. And so it's becoming uh, not quite the windfall that everyone thought it was. And, and that is being reflected in medical cannabis stocks, uh, cannabis stocks in general, even recreational. Uh, people thought, oh, it's going to be the next Google, Amazon, and that's not how it's playing out. It's interesting. It's just weird. You don't think about the business side behind the scenes and all that stuff that goes into it. Uh, absolutely. In a regulated environment, uh, that is the biggest concern for any business that's going to try to break into this is recognizing, okay, there is a, a disconnect between what the public necessarily can get and what, what we were, people are trying to sell. Okay. So then how does someone like, say a doctor, how does a doctor... How is it regulated so a doctor can't just go full like Oprah and be like, you get a card, you get a card, you get a card, you get a card, you know, and everyone now has cards and it doesn't make a difference. And it's just. Yeah. So the states in general that have gone this route have been very specific about how that that goes about. And physicians that wade into these waters do so at great peril in, in theory to themselves, although this hasn't really come to fruition. In theory, the DEA's office, who gives us our our ability to write prescriptions, uh, because this is still a federally illegal drug, in theory, they could come and yank your DEA license the second you recommend uh, medical cannabis to anybody. Uh, and so physicians uh, are really monitored by the state. And if the state gets wind that you are well over your maximum 
of, uh, in the case of Utah now, 275 uh, patients per physician if you're, if you're not a specialist, and, and that goes up to as high as 600 in, in a specialist. But if you're just, you know, the image is some fly-by-night physician going, renting a hotel room and then just putting word out on the street, okay, for a hundred bucks, you just come show up and I'll write you a card. <laughs> uh, and that, that, you know, we laugh about that. We kind of smirk at that, but that's actually unfortunately happened in some States. Um, and Utah, the Utah medical association was very concerned that that would not happen here. And so, uh, to prevent that, there's a very strict, uh, system through which a physician must apply, show that he's actually obtained education, um, and then uh, the state will monitor uh, that physician's card card patients, and so it, it's very very strict. Um, and it, you know, in that regard, some people also are very wary of that because of the whole kind of big brother uh, viewpoint. Like, I don't want the state to know every last thing I'm doing, but in some ways, we already do that. If you write an opioid prescription, it's going to go into the database too. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just we have to find the right way to make sure that we don't over uh, or abuse. It would be the right word. We don't abuse that privilege. I think also, like we we said at the beginning, that stigma that that cannabis has. You know, like a, a pharmacist in this small town. You know, say. The majority is uneducated. They don't understand it. They find out he or she is prescribing. Absolutely. And then it's this: don't go there. You know, they're right. they're, they're peddling drugs, and that's right. got to be a scary position for pharmacists. Also, like you say, like, yeah. I don't want to lose business over this, but at the same right. time, you know, you're trying to educate your 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 patients to say, hey, this this it could be beneficial. Yeah, you know, I I think, and that come really comes down to how you approach it. Uh, if a physician or a pharmacist is not approaching this from a clinical aspect and saying, what is best for my patient? What will help them the most? Then you run the risk of having that kind of problem. I think patients, particularly in the basin, are excellent about figuring out you know, which physicians, which pharmacists, which individuals are there to really care for them and provide help and which are there just because, um, you know, in a small town in particular, that, that can be either great for you or the kiss of death. Yeah. Cause word spreads really fast. If you're, uh, not a, not caring and, and you're just there to kind of do your thing. But in uh, the case of like my, my friend, yeah, a lot of it was just not educated. Absolutely. You you want what's best for your child, obviously, as a parent. Right. But then there's that, okay, this just, just hit me. This was just suggested to me. Right. Um, how would people want, you know, go about maybe educating themselves on the benefits and the uses of cannabis? Like, obviously, there's the website. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's a really tough thing because, again, there there's not a lot of of super unbiased information out there. Um, there are, there are a couple of research journals, um, there that have some really good information, uh, for providers there. Uh, I, I again would recommend them going to the state website because there's a section for providers for patients. There's also a portal section for patients, uh, they have it kind of divided into four different categories, patients, physicians, 
industry people and regulators. So uh, I, I would recommend certainly for patients to uh, look on the internet, recognizing there are all sorts of different sources out there with different agendas behind their information, and then taking that back to their provider who has indicated that they're interested in helping them obtain a card or are part of that, and then saying, you know, I read this. What do you think of that? And most of the physicians that I, uh, that I know of that are going to go into this area have worked very hard to try to educate themselves and take what we call CME credit, which is our education process, um, to know more about the, the prescribing the conditions, the pros and cons of that. And that would be the, probably the best way to do it. That way the patient can feel that they're in control but at the same time feel that there's someone to use as a sounding board to, to play off of. Yeah. So let's go, let's talk about the pharma, the physician or, or the pharmacist in the pharmacy. Sure. So in the case of my friend that has the three-year-old with a behavioral disorder, yep. they go in, they decide to do this, they get their card, right? They go in. How does he know, like maybe what dosage for a three year, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's crazy. That is crazy. So um, there are some resources out there that suggest uh, certain dosing regimens. Uh, you can always start out super low yeah. and then work your way up from there. That, that Most of the experts that I've talked to, because medical cannabis in that format is not necessarily dangerous, you can start out at a very low dose and then work your way up into until you finally get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm having good effects without side effects that are not wanted. So for many different medications, aside from antibiotics, that's how we work it. If you have, I have high blood pressure. And so uh, when I go to see my provider, he says, okay, well, what dose of, of, you know, metoprolol are you on? And, uh, okay, I'm on this dose. Well, your blood pressure is this. So may, we <laughs> need to probably increase your metoprolol yeah. a little bit or, oh, your blood pressure is very low. Let's go ahead and back off. Um, we, we do that in medicine already. So the, format of helping patients get the right dosage is would be similar we you would start at the very low end and then just work your way up so we're just treating cannabis as another absolutely oh absolutely and that's you know the major reason i i was very excited to come on um the podcast was because i think people have been so used to demonizing cannabis they don't realize that it can be treated just like any other medication um, and that, that really is where it needs to be. It needs to be thought of as a medication. We need to look at it that way and try to help patients who qualify, um, to, to use it. You know, again, it's not the Holy grail. It's, it's, it's not out there to, uh, if you have, uh, stage four brain cancer and all you do is cannabis, the likelihood of it curing you is probably on the low side on the other end you know saying well my my uncle who has cancer he needs uh he's having problems eating he doesn't have appetite he's in a lot of pain uh this kind of a medication could probably help that person uh that that's where you have to find the right condition for the right medication just like anything else in medicine 
right medication, right condition, you have excellent results. Wrong medication, wrong condition, disastrous results. And, and the medical cannabis is no different from that. So just getting in that mindset and educating the, the, the general populace to think in that way yeah. is going to be key to the success or failure of this. Yeah, and, and unfortunately you have on the other end of the spectrum the recreational side. And, and that makes it really difficult because you have some proponents that are like, okay, we just need to make this unregulated. Everybody just go at it. Um, and then the other side that says, okay, we know we, we shouldn't have this at all. Neither side is really right when it comes to that. Because if you, if you just turn it loose, um, that would be like saying to somebody, okay, you can just walk into the store and get any antibiotic you want. Well, which antibiotics you guys? I don't know. Just, just, Try, try, choose a couple different ones and try it out and see what happens. <laughs> Start a dart a, there. Yeah, that's a really bad idea. Nobody would, if, if I said to somebody, okay, go do that, everyone would say, okay, that's bad. In the same regard, I, I view medical cannabis in the same way. You don't just want to throw a dart at the board and say, okay, well, uh, hope this works for you. You, you want to say, okay, these are the conditions that we are known to help. Could there be more? Absolutely. Research needs to be done to show that. But but we need to approach it from a medical perspective, and that will really change how things are done. And it's still, though, kind of scary, though, because it's not legal federally. So oh, say absolutely. I get my card. Yep. I go to work. Yeah. That's well, a disaster. Know, that's, it's 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 hard because then the, yeah. your workplace is like, hey man, that's an illegal substance. Yep. Whether you have a a card, a letter, you know it what I mean. It's such yep. a it's such a fine line, and it, yeah. it, you know homeowners, you know, yep. or, or renters. Yep. It's it's a fine line. So there's that you know the, almost that taboo. I mean, it's it's going to be playing out different, and we still have a lot to learn with this. And there's so much growing pains that are going to probably go on with it. One hundred percent. You know, uh, a card, a letter is not going to protect someone's CDL. Uh, a company can at any time choose to get a urine test, and if it's positive for cannabis, THC, uh, they're as a company within the right to say, "I'm sorry, we don't want to have anyone working for us that is." positive for THC. That's unfortunately at this point, at this point, yeah. at this juncture, because it is federally legal, a company can absolutely say that. Um, and you know, the other difficulty is from the law enforcement perspective, you know, we said we would have liked to have law enforcement here, but with an alcohol, you can do a breathalyzer and indicate how much, uh, alcohol in someone's in breathalyzer and say, okay, you know, you're over the limit and therefore you're in trouble. Cannabis is almost impossible to do that because it stays in the system for so long, you know, at least 30 days um, round about that time. So somebody could have uh, consumed cannabis a month ago and in theory, in theory, it may still be in their system. So if you're running a, a, a quick test, it's going to show positive. And so is that person uh, intoxicated at that moment? No, but is it in their system? Yes. So what does law enforcement do with that? So that, that, that causes great difficulty for law enforcement, almost to the point where many uh, individuals in law enforcement say, we, you know, until this gets worked out, we're almost kind of hands off. Well, you got cannabis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do without that. Uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Their hands get tied. And then what do you do? Uh, so I, I think there are lots of things that have to be worked out. The, the one really big one for the industry right now is the fact that uh, 
because it's federally illegal, banks, financial institutions do not want to be a part of this. So you cannot walk into a dispensary and use your Visa MasterCard. You you can't go to a bank and say, hey, I own a cannabis business. Uh, I'd like to open a bank account. <laughs> they're not, they're going to say, okay, well, thank you very much for that information, but uh, we're going to have to turn you away. So then it results in a cash-only business, and that's very, hard very— Hard to govern. Not only hard to govern, dangerous. Yeah. You know, if people figure out that you own a cannabis business and you're, you know, they're going to say, well, then that must mean you've got a lot of cash in your house. And then a pile of cash. That's dangerous. So target on your back. Absolutely. Huge target. Huge. And and that story has played out, unfortunately, in several states and people, home invasion and disaster and all of that. So the, the states have to figure out a way with the federal government to make it so that it is not a cash only business. Yeah, and, and they create a test, like you said, that would provide proof if they're using currently or if it's just right, you right. Know. And and again, that is f- the science behind that is very difficult to say. Okay, what level indicates intoxication? Well, uh, every interestingly enough, just like alcohol. Uh, every person is affected differently from varying levels. I mean, hence the term lightweight and yeah. and this, that, and the other. And other people that can, you know, drink a fifth of vodka and they're okay, uh, so to speak. Uh, the, the same problem exists with cannabis or any of the medications that are out there. So how are you going to regulate that in a law enforcement setting to judge whether or not somebody needs to be hauled off to jail or they can be let go. That's very difficult. Probably why the feds are just staying back right now. Just kind of like, well, you know, know, that's another issue that we could talk about another time, you know, on the federal level, so much of it at this point is still political has nothing to do with the, the benefits or the, the ills of cannabis. It's, it becomes a political tool that people are using. So, We'll have to see how, you know, it's doing better at this point because at least now people are talking about it heavily on the national level. Uh, But unfortunately, many people feel we are still years away from federal uh, legalization. I think it goes back to just educating yourself and, and knowing the risks, knowing the benefits. Absolutely. And deciding for yourself or for your family what's best for you and yours. Right, right. And, and again, no different from when you go in and, and you start any kind of long-term medication for, uh, let's say you have uh, a clotting disorder, you have stroke risk, and so they're going to put you on a blood thinner. They're going to tell you, okay, these are the risks, these are the benefits, and we're going to see you back in this amount of time. And if the risks or the side effects are worse than the benefits, we're going to change medication. That, that's really how this has to be approached. And people need to understand that with the help of a medical provider that's qualified, you know, good things can happen without the problems of this whole stigma of, of you know, people getting high and, and the we always go back to the Cheech and Chong uh, image, but that's what we're trying to avoid. So how did little old Vernal get a pharmacy? Like that's, yeah, how did so that that's, happen? A, that's a great question. So <laughs> the state divided, um, the, the Utah health department divided the state into different regions and based on the population, they said, okay, we can award so many licenses per region. And when the central fill model which was where the state was going to try to run the whole 
medical cannabis business similar to the liquor stores. When they finally realized that was not going to work and there was this big to-do about, you know, Utah being a drug, the biggest drug cartel in the United States, and they they abandoned that system, they said, okay, now we got to rely on the private pharmacies to take over. So... Uh, they awarded 14 different licenses and it just happened that one of those areas that was picked was Vernal because in our region, there are very few cities that would be able to support in theory a pharmacy. And so the company pure was fortunate enough to pick up one of those licenses. It's interesting. Yeah. I did, yeah. I didn't know how that played out and like how it worked, worked out. Yeah. Every, it was a competitive process. Everybody had to pay a fee, uh, and create a application and turn in that application and then, uh, hope that the state picked them. And, and, and it was a little more in depth than that. There was a scoring system that was used and you just had to score higher than everybody else. And if you did, you got a license. And if you didn't, <laughs> you were unlucky. So they're just starting off with the 14, you said, and then... Yeah, so that's what we had hoped for. As of right now, though, and, and again, this makes sense, uh, because of the difficulty of getting it off the ground, uh, to my knowledge, only one pharmacy is actually open, and that's in Salt Lake City. Interesting. Good to know. So people can rest assured that we're not getting a dispensary no, in we, Utah. No, absolutely so not. Pharmacy, highly regulated. Highly, exceptionally regulated. So people can rest assured. I mean, because, you know, it, they call it the gateway drug, marijuana. Yep. yep. People are freaking out. Yeah. Some people are, I should say. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and I understand, again, I understand that. I think, uh, but if you said to me, well, in a chronic setting, a chronic setting, would you want somebody on an opioid or would you want somebody on cannabis? I would imagine most physicians for the appropriate condition would say, Absolutely. I'd rather have somebody on medical cannabis in a, in an appropriate condition for a chronic setting than an opioid because opioids in a chronic setting are horrific. It is a bad, bad deal. So would you, could you walk us through like the process from start to finish? Like say myself. Sure. I come into you. I have right. a disorder like yep. say PTSD. Yep. You say, Hey, you might benefit from cannabis right so it would where actually, does it go from there like yeah how? it would actually be a little more in depth than that okay. so uh one of the things that's very important for the state to feel comfortable with is and and physicians in general is you've got to develop a patient physician relationship that means you can't just come off the street <laughs> and say hey i have ptsd can you give me a cannabis card i highly doubt any physician that's actually registered with the state is going to go, sure, no problem, here you go. Um, they're going to want to review your medical record. They want to go over what medications you've been on, uh, what conditions you have that may preclude you from using cannabis. Let's say you were a schizophrenic. Yeah. And he said, I have PTSD. Oh, but I'm also, and they look at your profile and they notice that you're on medications that treat schizophrenia. And so the physician would say, oh, do you have schizophrenia? And you say, yes, I do. Uh, it would be very hard pressed at that point to say, oh, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and just keep going with this. They would, they would want to definitely have an in-depth discussion of why this may be a problem. But anyways, so you would develop a relationship and whether that means you could develop that relationship within one visit, two visits, 
Uh, that's kind of up to the physician to decide, but they definitely would want to look at that. And then they would say, okay, uh, now we're going to enter your information into the, the electronic verification system, which the physician would have at their office. It would be a computer program. And then they would, uh, that information would go to the state. You would have to pay a fee for your card. Uh, and as long as the information that the state received was appropriate, they would then send that card to your home. Um, you would then take that card along with your ID, go to a pharmacy. Uh, they would have a verification system there that would show that your card is active and that you are indeed the person. And then they would allow you to go into the pharmacy in the pharmacy then would be a pharmacist or another qualified medical provider in there um, who would then go through the format, the, the amount, the dosing, uh, the length of time, and then you would pick your product uh, from the suggestions of the individual and then uh, purchase it and then you would leave. So by law, you cannot consume any of the cannabis on site and uh the recommendation of course would be not to consume it in your car yeah because you're driving and so you would want to take that home and then consume it at home and then you would have follow-up in theory with your physician to see how things are going you would also have then follow up with the dispensary uh or the excuse me the pharmacy who would then monitor how you're you're doing and, and make suggestions of alterations of either dosing or uh type. So just like any other medication, you would want to take notes, make a journal maybe and, and absolutely track your progress, yeah. pros and cons. Hey, it's not doing this for me. It is well, doing this for me. Or I'm starting to have these side effects yeah. and, and you're, that's the benefit of the, a medical approach is then you have somebody to turn to, to say, Hey, this is what's happening to me. And your physician in theory would then say, Oh yeah, I'm really concerned. They would communicate in theory with the pharmacy saying, Hey, I'm, my patient is coming in, he's having these problems or she is having these problems. Um, and so where do we go from there? You know, that person, uh, would then get guidance and go to where they need to be. I'm eating a lot of Funyuns in the middle of the right. morning. Just, I've, gained, <laughs> I've gained 50 pounds. Yeah. Well, that's my problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but that's, it's been very educational. I think that was the reason we wanted to do this podcast was Absolutely. just to kind of educate the basin on what's coming. Like, what is this really? Are, are we okay to be scared? Are we okay to, to not understand? Like, how do we find more information? Like, yeah. this has just been one of those things. And I appreciate you so, so much. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Coming on board. Any, any final thoughts or words that you want to, you know, wrap it up with? Yeah. Any? You know, I think the future of medical cannabis is that it will at some point become federally legal. And I guarantee you at that point, it will be incorporated into major uh, manufacturing drugs. Uh, great example would be uh, stimulant medications for ADHD and ADD. One of the common side effects of both of those, any of those medications is uh, lack of appetite and uh, difficulty sleeping. Uh, cannabis would be an excellent analog to be included with those medications. Another great example would be chemotherapeutic drugs. Uh, where they they cause people to to not want to eat and be feel very very sick and and so it's not a question of if but when that happens in the meantime it's so important that people just be willing to ask the difficult questions ask uh, their providers 
you know, if they feel comfortable doing this, um, the state is going to develop a database to show all the physicians that are qualified. At this point, there's a little bit of pushback from uh, physicians uh, being registered to provide cards versus writing letters. Because as of right now, any physician can write a letter uh, allowing a patient to obtain uh, medical cannabis in the appropriate forms and formats. And that will be in effect until January uh, 2021. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your professional knowledge with us. Oh, you're welcome. I know you've done stuff with the local community, like businesses. and, and Absolutely. Yep. And are people able to reach out to you and ask you to do Absolutely. We, um, so Dinosaur Land is actually going through a little bit of transition. We are moving from just pediatrics into uh, pediatrics and family care. Uh, Chris Williams, our nurse practitioner, can see adults now too. So we will be able to help people in both a pediatric setting and in an adult setting for if they have concerns about medical cannabis, as well as, of course, all of the other healthcare needs that they need. Um, it's our desire to be a resource for our community to help people find uh, that medical path that's right for them and in a, in a very safe, legal and uh, responsible way. And that's what's most important to us. I think we as a state, as a community, are kind of feeling our way through this and, Absolutely. and need that help, need that guidance just as a, you know, as a mentor and say, hey, right. I don't know where to turn. I can reach out to you. 100%. Awesome. We are, we are always available uh, for consultation and for patients to come in uh, to develop a relationship with us and for us to help them. I And one, one quick last thing, you know, for a lot of the physicians that have concerns, I tell them, you know, you're the one that should be the most uh, useful to be registered because you would be able to give the patient a very uh, critical view of this and not just give it to anybody, but say, hey, do you really qualify for this? I'm concerned for your health. Um, and it's really interesting because people are, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. And I said, well, then you, you are actually the person that really should be a part of it because rather than just giving out cards left and right, you would be um, very more interested in, in the patient and themselves. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, our hope is that we, we can do the same for everybody. Dr. Daniel Kwok, thank you so much. More information can be found online medicalcannabis.utah.gov. There's yep. phone numbers there. There's contact information there. Um, thank you for listening to the Channel V6 podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at channelv6.com. Thanks again for having us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you.